Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I am Pastor Sean Cole, the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor at Colorado Christian University, and I thank you for listening to the podcast today. As I was going back and looking at some old sermon archives, I came across a sermon that I preached in June of 2008 from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, on how Jesus treated the little children. And I thought it was appropriate in our day and age with all the Planned Parenthood videos coming out and just in a culture that does not value children. How did Jesus value children? How should we as parents value children? How should we evangelize our children? How should the church minister to children? And so this message was preached on June 1st, 2008, and it's titled, Let the Little Children Come. It's from Mark 10, 13 through 16. I thought it would be beneficial to go back in the archives of some old sermons and let you listen to this message that I think is very pertinent to today. So thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. Well, you may open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 as we continue through this great book of Mark. And yes, we will finish it one day. It looks like, just for your own information, it will probably be by the end of the summer. But we're, we're a little more than halfway through Mark chapter 10. And it's very fitting that today we celebrate the leadership of our children as they've led out in worship because children are not only vital to the life of our church now, but they're vital for the life of the church in the future. And oftentimes you hear people say, our children are our future, and that's true, but our children are our right now. And so we need to value our children the way Jesus values children. Over the past few years, there have been some very interesting news stories that have come out basically describing how our American culture devalues children. As a matter of fact, in August of 2006, MSNBC ran a story called No Brats Allowed. Is American society increasingly intolerant of tots? And in this article, they explored how different businesses and companies are not being very family friendly and how American culture is moving towards this trajectory of not valuing children, of seeing children as a nuisance in our society. That same month in 2006, the New York Times magazine ran a story called Childproof, in which the author Christopher Caldwell traced the rise and fall of what are called adult communities. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but all across America, these little communities are popping up called adult-only communities. And basically what they're doing is they're barring anyone from under the age of 18 from living there. So it's only 18 above can live in these um, gated communities in these suburbs. And some of the more extreme ones, you can't even allow children to visit. So if you're a grandparent or a parent and you have a younger than 18-year-old child coming, they cannot even visit these gated uh, condos, these communities, these age-qualified, what they're calling them, communities in America. So so how do we respond to some things in our culture in relation to how children are being devalued? Last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 10. And in chapter 10, Jesus begins to teach the values of the kingdom of God. 
And God's values are different than the world's values. And as we looked last week, we talked about marriage and how we need to work diligently under the lordship of Christ and by his grace to preserve what God has joined together. And so if we're going to to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, where the rubber meets the road is in relationship to our marriages. And today we get to how we treat children. And next week we're going to look at money and possessions. And as I said last week, Jesus begins to step on our toes in Mark chapter 10. And before we actually dive into this text, there's two parallel tracks going on. One track, Jesus is telling us how we value children. But the other parallel track that's going on is how do we respond like children in a relationship with Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. And so let's read this very short but very beautiful story of our Savior in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now there's no description here about where they're at. They could be in a house. They could be in a little village. We just noticed last week that they're on their way to Jerusalem. And so what we have here is we have the disciples are rebuking these parents. These parents are continually trying to bring their babies to Jesus to be touched, to be blessed. And we don't know what the disciples were doing. Were they standing there uh, barring the door with these mean looks on their faces? Were they like bouncers saying to these parents, get away? We really don't know. All we know is they had this attitude that don't, don't bother Jesus with these puny little babies. He's got better things to do with this time than to deal with children. And as a matter of fact, the word that's used there in the original text for rebuked literally means to award a penalty. So if you have this mental picture in your mind, the disciples are referees on the sidelines. They are blowing the whistle. They're sending the parents to the penalty box. They're calling fouls. They're, they're, they're getting in these parents' face. They're blowing the whistle. And they're saying, don't bother Jesus with your children. They had so easily forgotten the words that they had just heard a few days earlier. If you go back to chapter 9, verse 37, we looked at this a few weeks ago. What did Jesus say in chapter 9, 37? He said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. They had this attitude towards children that they were a nuisance. They were a bother. And you know, in our culture today, this attitude is very prevalent. Can you guys turn on the air back there? I'm seeing a lot of people waving their things. So if we could just turn on the air conditioner, that would be great. There are a lot of people in our culture today that have this attitude of dehumanizing and devaluing children. Let me just give you a few examples. Most of these you're probably very well aware of. Since the legalization of abortion with Roe v. Wade in 1973, there have been over 40 million abortions in America. And it's even worse in Eastern Europe. 
uh, in, in 2005, the Blomberg Report on Blomberg.com talked about Russia. And in the country of Russia, there are more abortions being performed than actual births because people do not want to spend the money to raise children. It's too much of a nuisance. About one, and in 2005, about 1.6 million women had an abortion, a fifth of which were under the age of 18, and about 1.5 million gave birth. So in an Eastern Bloc country, you have more people aborting babies than they have birthing babies into this world. Now, last week, the past couple weeks, we've had the petition out in the foyer about the personhood amendment. And as a pastor, I need to be very careful that I don't jump off into a political trajectory. But let me just give you the facts of what the personhood initiative is trying to do here in Colorado, our very own state. Uh, The personhood initiative says this. uh, it, It states the term person or persons shall include any form of human or, or of, it shall include human from the time. Let me repeat that. The person or persons shall include any human from the time of fertilization. And they received 131,243 signatures were delivered to Capitol Hill in Denver. And just this past Thursday, Secretary of State Mike Kaufman put this on the November or the, yeah, the November ballot. So we have in our very own state this battle for the right to life. And not just abortion. Abortion is not just a telling sign in our culture of how people devalue humans. But we've got child abuse. We've got child neglect. We've got child pornography running rampant in our very own society. As a matter of fact, this past Sunday, May 25th, was National Missing Child Day. You can go to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to their website and get more information upon this issue. And so when we look at how children are treated and devalued and dehumanized in our American culture, it breaks our hearts. It should break your heart of what the world is doing. But let's just make this a little bit more personal. What about the church? What about those of us that call ourselves Christians? How are we maybe subtly communicating or maybe unconsciously communicating that we do not value children? Let me give some practical areas here this morning of maybe ways that we devalue children. And maybe we don't even know it. But we're not elevating children to the status of importance that they need to be in our Christian families and in our Christian churches. One of the practical ways that we neglect children is when we neglect to engage in family worship. Talk about this a lot. Dads, and even single moms, anybody that's at the head of the home, it is your spiritual responsibility to be leading your family through a time of family worship. That your, teenage, your kids can be teenagers, they could be little kids, but do you, on a nightly basis, gather your family together and read the Scriptures and pray and lead your family in a time of worship, dads, of gathering your children together and instilling values into their lives on a daily basis? We've got this resource. We've had this for a couple of months. It's $4. Family worship in the Bible, in history, and in your home. You can come see me after the service. We'll get you one of these. It explains how you do family worship, the biblical rationale behind family worship. You've got to have something built into your family schedule to where on a nightly basis, whether it's for five minutes or for a half an hour, you are gathering the family together to focus in on God and His Word and on prayer. Another way that we may not value children is... It's when we don't catechize our children. Now, you may think, now, that sounds 
Interesting, that word catechize. What do you mean by that? What I mean is basically train your children. Our jobs, parents, is to train our children in theology, in the gospel, in loving Jesus, in the Bible. It's not Trevor's primary responsibility as youth pastor. It's not team kid. It's not Sunday school dads and moms. It's our primary responsibility, no matter what age your children are, to teach and to train them. It's not the government's job. It's not the church's job. It's not anybody else's job. It is your job to be the primary leader in the family of training your children in godliness. We also have this resource, a catechism for boys and girls. It's a Baptist catechism based upon our doctrine where it has 125 questions. You can use this with a five-year-old. You can use this with a 20-year-old. It's basically a question and answer type situation where you answer questions biblically from the scriptures in training your children. Another way that we don't value children is when we don't put time or energy into children's ministry. You know, a lot of churches just expect children's ministry to happen. You, you show up, you get a few workers, and then children's ministry just happens. We don't have that value here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. We take very um, seriously the fact that we need to plan and strategize and think and, and promote and deal with having a quality children's ministry. We have a children's council right now that is working on uh, the future of what our children's ministry is going to look like. You saw a product this morning of children's choir. We have our Wednesday night programs. We have our Sunday school. So we want to value children's ministry and need to be praying for children's ministry. Another way that we may devalue children and not even know it is when we don't let kids be kids and we don't understand developmental issues. Eight-year-olds do not act like 18-year-olds. And many parents of teenagers just sometimes bang their head against the wall and say, when are they ever going to grow up? We need to realize that kids need to have the freedom to grow up at their developmental stage. Now, I'm not excusing bad behavior here at all. Okay? I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I've seen it all. I'm not excusing bad behavior. But in the church, there needs to be a safe place for children to fail and understand God's grace. We need to not be so rigid in our children's ministry and our youth ministry that kids can't be kids and that they're not loved on and they're not encouraged and they're not supported and we just don't allow them to grow up and be themselves. The church should be the safest place for kids to be Kids, not Toys R Us, where a kid can be a kid, even though Toys R Us is fun. One of the ways that we devalue children also is when we can use manipulative techniques to try to get decisions or baptisms. Now, thankfully, we don't do this here at Emmanuel, but I've seen it done in many churches. If you give me a group of kids and sit them on the front row, I can get them all to nod their head and trust in Jesus and ask Jesus into their heart and all get saved by a little power of manipulation. And we need to be very careful that we view children as tender souls, people who have consciences, who have souls, and we need to be very gentle with them and very tender with them and make sure that we embrace them and love them and not manipulate them. I think a lot of times as parents, what do we want to play? We want to play Holy Spirit Junior, don't we? We want to be the ones to convict our kids and to get them going. And yes, we need to use some parental admonition, but sometimes we need to sit back and let the Holy Spirit do his job of converting a lost soul. So let's get back to the text here. What happens when Jesus sees these disciples blowing the whistle and rebuking these parents? Verse 14 
When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, that is the only time that word is used in Mark. It's a very strong word in the original language. What it means is Jesus got royally ticked off is what it means. It's the best translation I can give you. He vented outwardly and expressed extreme anger. The only time it's used in the New Testament is right here when Jesus gets very upset. And what does he say? He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, there's a verb tense used there that gives you the idea that Jesus is very emphatic. He's very strong and he's saying, let these children come to me quickly. Let them come to me urgently. Let them come to me passionately. Don't hold them back. Don't uh, fit, don't fence them in. Let them have direct access to me. Stop blowing the whistle, disciples, and let these kids come quickly to me directly. And that is beautiful that Jesus would be so upset about the way these disciples were treating children. He said, throw away all obstacles and let them come directly to me. And I believe that we need to have that same type of attitude towards children. We need to lead our children to come to Christ. We need to not hinder or hamper or, or, or prevent our children from coming to Christ. We need to be presenting the gospel to our children on a consistent basis. Parents, let me ask you a question. It's a weird question, but I want you to answer it in your head. When was the last time you witnessed to your kid? You may think, what do you mean witness to my kid? I thought I was supposed to witness to non-Christians. Right. A lot of your kids are non-Christians. Even if your kids are Christians, they need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel over and over and over again, because when we hear the gospel, when we embrace the gospel, when we hear about the cross, it makes our calling and election sure, and it reminds us of our need for Jesus. And so we need to be, parents, always presenting the gospel to our children, talking about the gospel, describing the gospel, explaining the gospel. We just need to be talking about it. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the Shema. We're very familiar with that. It comes from the Hebrew word to hear. And God, through Moses, gives instructions to parents about what our primary task is. So let's read Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise in the natural course of life when you're walking and talking and driving and and cooking and and playing sports and just living life together parents it's our job to impress upon our children to love jesus now there's a very interesting hebrew word that's used there when it says teach them diligently in the Hebrew, Hebrew is a very um, word picturesque type language. Here's what that word means. It means to sharpen an arrow so as to hit the target. So parents, I want you to think about this. As you're teaching children, are you sharpening them like an arrow so that they will hit the target? 
Are we impressing upon their minds and their hearts the ideas of sin and grace and the gospel and Jesus and the resurrection and forgiveness and all these beautiful things that are related to the gospel? Are we impressing them upon our children in the normal everyday course of life, regardless of what age they are? They can be grown children, but we still need to be talking about the gospel at all times. Another way that we can let the children come is asking this question. Are we praying for our children? You may think, well, I pray for my children. Obviously, I pray for my children all the time. Let me ask you another question. Are you praying specifically for your children? Very specifically. Are you praying Scripture for your children? Let me just tell you the power of praying Scripture for your children. Uh, my wife, Dawn, started praying this prayer for Aiden. When she started going through the, the, the book of Daniel, this passage of Scripture just jumped out off the page, and we've been praying this Scripture specifically over our children. So I encourage you parents, find a Scripture and begin to pray it specifically over your children that fits their personality, that fits what they're all about. Use the Scripture as your power source. Daniel one. 17. This is the prayer that we pray for Aiden. Daniel 1.17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And our prayer for Aiden is that God would give him learning, God would give him skill, he would excel at his schoolwork, that, that God would just allow him to grow. We also use this passage of Scripture, Daniel 6, 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Our prayer for Aiden is that if somebody's going to bring an accusation against you or somebody's going to get you in trouble or somebody's going to come and, and bring an accusation against you, it better be that you've stood up for Jesus Christ, not for any other reason. And so we pray this specifically for Aiden. One of the passages that you may want to pray for your child is Luke 2, 52. It's just a very simple passage of Scripture. It was, it was spoken about Jesus. But if you were to pray this for your child specifically, Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There's four aspects to that prayer. He increased in stature. You pray for your child's health. You pray that they would grow to be a healthy child. Most of us pray that way. They would grow in wisdom. That your child would grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. They would grow in favor with other men. They would have good, positive relationships with other people. But the most important thing we pray is that they would find favor with God. That their relationship with God would be the most important thing that we seek. And so we pray for our children. We present the gospel to our children. But another question we've got to ask is, are we praying for children's ministries is that even on your radar do you do you pray that god would anoint with his power and blessing our children's ministry here at emmanuel baptist church that it would thrive it would be successful it would be god-honoring it would be christ-centered and that kids would get saved and that are we bathing our children's ministry in prayer now there's some of you i've seen you wearing these t-shirts around church okay and, and some of you know who you are it's a been there done that t-shirt and every time Trevor comes, you kind of duck behind a, a tree or you duck here and there because um, it's that attitude of, I've already done my time in children's ministry. I don't want to volunteer anymore. Now, I'm not here to arm twist. and I'm not here to say that you have to work outside your area of giftedness. But are you praying or being sensitive to God calling you to work with our children or with our youth? 
There may be many in this room this morning that God has been tugging on your heart for many years, many months, that God is saying, now's the time to step forward and take a risk and work with children or work with youth. And you're risking it and you say, I don't want to take the risk. And I understand you don't want to take the risk because nobody wants to take the risk. But you miss out on the blessing of impacting a child's life. Let me ask you a question. I did this in the first service. How many of you, and I want to see your hands this morning, you were reluctant to work in children's ministry or work with youth, but when you finally bit the bullet and did it and you looked back, you were so thankful you did because you got to be blessed and used of God. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Look at how many hands are up. Those people that took a risk to see that God uses ordinary people to impact children and youth. So maybe God is calling you to do that. And so we may not have done a great job in the past of honoring our, our children's workers. Uh, Trevor had a um, appreciation banquet last week, which was very beneficial to just to say thank you to our teachers. One of my values as a leader is this. If you're going to work and you're going to volunteer and you're going to serve, we want to equip you, we want to train you, we want to love you, we want to motivate you, we want to encourage you, we want to appreciate you. And so if you decide to work in children's ministry or youth ministry, know it from my heart that that's where we want to go as a ministry philosophy is that people are valued for the time and energy they put into ministry, of creating this culture of loving children. As a matter of fact, in our new building, I don't know if you've gone out to our new building site, but most of the concrete's been, been poured. And, and Leroy Whipke told me last week, he said, Sean, you can go out there if you want. So, the, so last week I went out on the property. I was the only one out there. There was nobody else out there. And I just began to prayer walk. It was a great time with the Lord until Mike Lauer pulled up and said, what are you doing? And I said, because here's what I was doing. I was, I was standing at the pulpit looking out. And it made it look like I was practicing to nobody. But I was just envisioning all you out there, you know, out in this big area. But I began praying in the different sections of the church and asking God to bless and asking God to do a work. And, and just to let you know, next to the sanctuary and next to the fellowship hall, the third biggest space in our new building is dedicated to children because we have a value for children. We have a nice big area devoted to children's ministry and youth in the new building because we see that as such a crucial, crucial reality that we need to be building in the life of our church. Now, let's get back to the text and see this parallel track that's going on here. Jesus tells us very specifically to accept children, to love children, to honor children. But there's a parallel track going on. No matter what age you are, Jesus uses this as a metaphor to say that we need to respond to Jesus as a child would. So salvation entering the kingdom of God is based upon how you as a child respond to the Father. And notice what Jesus says in verse 15. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So first thing that we see here is that we need to receive the kingdom of God. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God? Well, the very word receive in and of itself means a gift. Let me ask you a question. Are these children in this story elevated because they're smarter, they're more spiritually astute, and they know a lot? Is that why God blesses them? What are the, what are the values of these children? They're noted for what they do not 
have. What do children lack? They lack power. They lack prestige. They lack influence. Everything a child is given is strictly because his parents have given it to them as a gift of mercy. And that's the way we are to come to God in receiving this free gift of salvation in a childlike type way with this reckless abandon where we just trust God at his word and we just wholeheartedly embrace God and we run to Jesus and we just embrace him and love him like a child. We receive this gift. We come with empty hands. We unquestionably love Jesus. When Aiden was about three years old in um, our kitchen, there was a counter and we would play this game where Aiden would jump off the counter and I'd catch him. And each time, and you may have played this, I'd move back a little bit more. And he'd get a little scared. And he'd go flying at me. And I got pretty far back and he said, Daddy, are you going to catch me? And I said, of course, Aiden, I'm going to catch you. Don't worry. And boom, he was there. He just flew out as fast as he could and just grabbed a hold of me. Kids are like that, aren't they? They trust adults at their word and just jump. And that's the way we need to be with Jesus. He's our Heavenly Father and He's calling us to have this childlike faith where when God says jump, we just with joy just run out there and know that He's going to catch us because He's our Heavenly Father. That's the type of way we receive the kingdom of God. We don't trust in our own merits. We don't trust in being good. We don't trust in what we have to offer God. We're just like little children jumping off a counter and we say, God, you've got to catch me. And God in His grace catches us and receives us into the kingdom. But how do we enter the kingdom? Jesus says we receive the kingdom as a gift. Whoever receives the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So there's another aspect. We not only receive the kingdom, but we must enter the kingdom of God. How does one enter the kingdom of God? Go back to Mark chapter 1. I know it's been a long time, but the first words out of Jesus' mouth... If you have a red letter edition in your Bible, it's the first words that show up in red. If you remember, this is the theme, this is the thesis, this is the point of the Gospel of Mark. The very first words of Jesus in verse 15 of chapter 1, what does he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. That is the message. Repent. Turn from our sins and believe in the gospel. Believe in Jesus. This is the ultimate message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Matthew's account, we get a little bit more insight into what Jesus was saying. In Matthew 18, verse 3, the same story in Matthew's account, Matthew writes it and, and said, Truly I say to you, Jesus said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some translations may use, unless you are converted. And that's actually the best translation. I think the King James uses that. That Greek word there says, unless you are converted. And by the way, it's in the passive voice, which means that God must do the converting. We don't convert ourselves. God converts us. Unless God does a work of grace, unless God changes our hearts, unless God causes us to turn, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So part of getting into the kingdom of heaven is this repentance, this turning, this conversion, this, this thing that Jesus describes as being born again. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus put it another way, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Let's read John 3, 3 through 7. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's just stop right there. Unless you're born again, what can you not see? You can't even see the kingdom of God. You're, you're blinded from even seeing it unless something happens to you called being born again. And then Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Verse 4, he says, Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He doesn't quite get what Jesus is talking about. It's a spiritual rebirth. And then in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, another metaphor there for regeneration, for rebirth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So two things, you can't see, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And then verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So you must, I must be born again in order to even enter this kingdom of God. And so here's the real problem. We cannot born again ourselves no matter how hard we try. We cannot cause ourselves to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit, when he comes in his sovereignty, and he comes and he changes our hearts, and he raises us from deadness to life, and he comes and he blows that wind of miracle of regeneration into us, then we rise and we have new life, and we come to Jesus and we jump off the counter and we embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. It's a sovereign working of God in the life of a sinner. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says it this way. The, the next verse, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit must blow in His sovereignty into your life and cause you to be converted, cause you to be born again. And once that happens, you jump off that counter with reckless abandon and you embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord and you fly into His arms and you escape hell and wrath and condemnation. But let's just ask another question. What is the kingdom of God? This, this word has been used all throughout chapter 10. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's, I think it's used five or six times throughout this chapter 10. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the very word itself assumes what? There is a king. And there is a dumb, whatever that is. A kingdom. It's the rule and reign of Christ Jesus in your life and in your heart. Now, there's a future kingdom of God. One day, God will bring all things to consummation. He will reign as ultimate king over the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, the right now aspect of it is, is that we live under the lordship of the king and his rule and his reign have total control over our lives. And we are totally showing ultimate allegiance to him. And all throughout this chapter 10, Jesus is going to contrast the values of the kingdom with the values of the world. Last week, we saw the values of marriage versus the values of the world. This week, we're seeing the values of children versus the values of the world. Next week, we'll see the values of money and possessions versus the values of coming and trusting and, and leaving all to follow Christ. And so this kingdom of God is his rule and his reign. But I hope you didn't miss verse 16. This, to me, is probably the most beautiful picture in the Bible of the way Jesus treats children. To catch it, he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, you do not get this in the Greek. You don't get this in your English, but in the Greek, it's so clear. What the Greek text tells us here by the verb tenses is that Jesus took them one by one. It wasn't a mass blessing where Jesus just stood over the kids and said, you're all blessed. He took them one by one, took the time to take them in, each of them in his arms, blessed them, held them, hugged on them, loved on them. Jesus took the time to spend time with those kids. And all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus as the one that takes time. He'll take a leper to the side and spend time with them. He'll take time with these children to love on them. And it's so beautiful to see 
what Jesus did in taking the time to do that. And this is very radical because in that culture, nobody bothered with children. Children were throwaways. Children were, were, especially if you were a female. If you were a female, by the age of 12, you could be sold into slavery. As a matter of fact, there was a papyrus dating from 1 B.C. It was written by a man that was writing back to his wife that was expecting a child. And it said something like this. If it's a boy, great. If it's a woman or if it's a girl, throw it away. They had this idea back then, both in the Jewish mind and the Greek mind, if it was a female, just cast it out. A lot like what's going on in China right now. So kids were not valued at all. And Jesus comes and does something amazing because, again, if you look at the original text, he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Now, the word for blessed is where we get our word eulogy. It means to speak well of, to speak kind words over, to speak affirming words over. But Jesus uses a form of that word that's found nowhere else in the Bible. Kata means over and above. is a prefix of before that word eulogy. And what it means is Jesus speaks a special or a greater blessing upon these children. He super blesses them. That's a strong statement. And let me just ask a question, parents. No matter what age your children are, do you speak blessings over your children? Do you speak words of affirmation, words of scripture, words of comfort over your children? I believe that most of our children hear negativity, hear criticism, hear not a lot of positive feedback in their life. And the one place they need to hear it is out of our mouths. And so parents, are you letting your children know that you're blessing them? whether you tuck them in at night or whether they're a teenager or whether they're grown, somehow verbally communicate to your kids a blessing. There's nothing more powerful than a father's blessing or a mother's blessing, but especially a father's blessing. A father's blessing is a powerful thing. There are many in this room that grew up without a father's blessing. I was thankful that my dad is a believer and I grew up with a father's blessing. But there may be many that didn't grow up with that. So fathers, bless your children super abundantly bless your children. Make it a point to be a source of godly encouragement to your children. Most of you know Drew Barrymore, uh, the, the actress. When she was seven years old, she starred in E.T. Gertie, remember little Gertie? Well, what you might not know about Drew Barrymore is that her father was physically and verbally abusive to her, left the family, and her mother was dysfunctional. Her mother started taking her bar hopping, club hopping. By the age of eight, she was smoking By the age of nine, she was drinking. By the age of ten, she was doing marijuana. And she became an alcoholic and a cocaine addict by the age of twelve. In school, her teacher verbally abused her in front of the classroom and called her names and the kids began to call her Porky Pig and Fatso. Now this is an extreme case of a girl who had very low self-esteem and dealt with it by going into drugs and alcohol at a very young age. Now we know that doesn't happen across the board and we know that you know, her parents weren't Christians, but this is an example to show how fragile our kids are and that they need, especially Christian parents, to hear affirming, blessing, powerful words out of your mouth to children. Another thing we see here, too, is Jesus was affectionate. With these kids. He took them in his arms. He laid his hands on them. Are you affectionate with your kids? Do you hug on your kids? Do you love on your kids? My pastor, when I was growing up, he, he often said this How do you spell love? You spell love T I M E. 
how much time you spend with your kids, both quality and quantity time. Let me tell you this. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you the way our culture is going and it's infecting the church, our kids are too busy. We've got them going this way and that, doing activities. You saw the program up here. They're doing soccer. They're doing basketball. They're doing this. They're doing that. And these things aren't bad. But what happens a lot of times is we're throwing our kids to all these other things and we're not doing the most important thing and spending quality time with our kids and hugging on our kids and loving our kids. Maybe you just need to set a time aside once a week just to have family night where you play games or you go to a movie. Or you take a picnic. What happens on family vacations? You get in the car and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What do we do? It's the first time we've been together for like 52 weeks. How do we handle this? God may be teaching us a lesson of the importance of family time. Family time. Family worship. A time for dads and moms to say, kids, let's just let's slow down the pace of life. Let's gather at the family altar. Let's open the scriptures. Let's slow down and say, what does God have to say to us? Before we all put our heads on our pillows tonight, what does God have to say about our family? What does God have to say about this? What's going on in our lives that we need to be praying about? We need to be doing that in our families. Now, when I prepared this message, I know of the situation of many in this church. And so I want to just address something this morning to make sure that grace is communicated. I know many of you have grown children that are wayward that are not in your home anymore. And you have a lot of guilt feelings about how you may have raised a child. There are many in this room that cannot have children for whatever biological or whatever reasons. Some of you are contemplating adoption. And so anytime you give a message on children, there is a wound that comes in because of whatever feelings you've experienced, like last week when we talked about divorce. And so I just want to minister some grace to you this morning to let you realize that no matter where you are in your situation, God is a big God. Remember what they sang about earlier? He can come through in the 11th hour. God is in control. And what I often tell my own children and myself is to let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. He's a powerful God. He's a great God. He may have a reason for why we're going through what we're going through, but we can never not trust a powerful, mighty, gracious Savior. And so if you're in that boat this morning, let's just focus on the grace of God and His power in his, in, his, in his resources. Let's talk about this for a minute. As a church, as a church, are we welcoming and receiving children? Is our attitude, let the children come? Or is our attitude, man, they're going to mess up the carpets if we let them come. They're going to yell and scream in the hallway and they're going to play outside behind the tree and they might actually do something wacky like spill something or act like a kid. Do we value children? Do we love children? Do we embrace children? Do we hug on children? After this, I encourage you, go hug on a child on your way out. Even if it's not your child. Man, I would just love to see in this church, in the hallways, people loving and hugging on each other. That's a sign of true health in the church. That kids, when they come up, they're not pushed aside, but you take time and you've been down and you look them in the eye and you ask them how they're doing and you give them a hug. Parents, we need to model that. Adults, we need to model that. We need to let the children come to Jesus. We need to see that investing in the lives of these children is a great thing. Hillary Clinton once said this, and this is not a promotion for her by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just giving a quote. I'm not playing the political card, okay? She says it takes a village to raise a child. And what I mean by that is probably it takes a lot of government programs to raise a child. 
I disagree with her. It does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a healthy church family to raise a child. It takes godly parents to raise a child. But most importantly, and this is what I want you to hear as I close, it's hard to raise children. It takes God's grace. It takes God's grace. If you take grace out of the equation, you take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, you take God's power out of the equation, we are lost. So let's just rest in the grace of Jesus to say he is able, he is powerful, he is mighty. He will give us the strength as parents. He will give us the support. He will give us the encouragement. Let us love on our children the way Jesus did as our ultimate example. Let's bow our heads. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to think about this message this morning. And it could be that something that was said struck a nerve with you and how you're treating your own children. And maybe you need to make some renewed commitments this morning about how you're going to parent or how you're going to make some changes through the power of the Holy Spirit. I do not want to minister guilt. I don't want you to feel guilty or like that you're not the perfect parent. What I want you to do is to trust in the sufficiency of Christ. Maybe some of you in this room are having trouble having kids. And you just need the grace of God to come and and just give you hope. Maybe some of you have wayward kids that are adults or teenagers and you have uh, strained relationships with them. Maybe you just need to pray for reconciliation. I just want there to be reconciliation and peace and, and God to do a work that only God can do this morning. So I just give you time this morning to cry out to Jesus and ask Him to come and do a work that only He can do through His grace in your life and in your family. So spend some time crying out to Jesus. Father, we learn our example of how to parent from you. As I was even reading this past week in First Thessalonians, that you are like a tender mother who gathers her hens, and you're also like a loving father. And so, God, you are the ultimate example of a loving parent. And Jesus, we see from your example here of how you loved children and took time to invest in them. And Holy Spirit, we know it's only by your power that we can do what you've called us to do. So we come before you today as needy people. We need you, God. Our children need you. We as parents need you. As grandparents, we need you. We just come needy and desperate, asking for you to do a work in our families. Lord, bring reconciliation into families. Bring healing into families. Lord, just do a great and mighty work of your grace that we might be changed. Lord, if there's been some issues in families that need to be addressed, Lord, I pray even this week they're addressed. I pray, Lord, that there would be a time for family worship where real issues can be discussed. Lord, I pray that there would be some praying going on in families. Lord, whatever you need to do to motivate us to be what you've called us to be, I pray you do it by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. May we be a church that truly lets the children come, that we value children, we love children. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us children blessing us with all these children in this church. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.